The first question of the uh, Heidelberg Catechism asks, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And it answers, I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then question one goes on and continues what this comfort in Christ looks like. And then in the second question of the Catechism, it asks, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And it answers three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such a deliverance. Well, today's text hits on all three of those things we must know to live and die in the joy of the comfort that our Lord Jesus Christ gives us. First, we're going to learn something about our guilt, about the greatness of our sin and misery. Second, we will learn something about God's grace, God's, uh, the grace and kindness that, uh, that is ours from the Father through his Son. And third, we'll learn something about gratitude and about how to live thankfully in the grace and kindness that Jesus Christ has uh, shown us so that we bring forth in our lives faith that uh, leads to love. Our text this morning gives us five pictures that teach us about this guilt, grace, gratitude pattern of the Christian life. These five pictures will also show us the grace and glory of Jesus Christ himself. And, and of course, seeing Christ's glory by faith is so very vital for living as a disciple of Jesus. These last three pictures of the five pictures is especially uh, focused on this gratitude portion of the guilt-grace-gratitude pattern. These last three pictures show us how we are to live by faith, a faith that leads us to love our Lord and to love other people. And we will especially learn that as believers, we are to live by faith from the beginning of our walk with the Lord to the end of our walk with him on this earth. For as Galatians 3.11 says, the righteous shall live by faith. And again, Hebrews 10, 38 and 39 says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Well, the first picture then this morning is found in verses 11 through 13. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn in the text to that and listen as I read verses 11 through 13 of Luke chapter 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Leprosy shows our lost condition apart from Christ. And that's the first point this morning. Leprosy shows our lost condition apart from Christ. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem where he will be crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as he journeys to Jerusalem, he's met by ten lepers who stood out at a distance, crying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
Leprosy was a disease that turned a person into a living corpse. Lepers were the walking dead in Israel. The law of God taught in Leviticus 13 and 14 that anyone who had this skin disease must live apart from his family, apart from his friends, and apart even from the gathering for worship. The issue of leprosy was not the skin disease itself, for it was not life-threatening. But the issue was separation. The issue was uncleanness. The issue was transmitting that uncleanness to others. Leprosy made a person unclean before the Lord and before the community of the Lord. Leprosy separated a person from the Lord and his holy community. Lepers were the walking dead in Israel. The Apostle Paul uses this imagery of the walking dead in 1 Timothy 5, verse 6. He writes that the widow who is self-indulgent is dead even while she walk, even as she lives. A number of texts from the Old Testament and Jewish texts outside of the Bible imply that leprosy was a judgment from God. Leprosy was a punishment from God on account of sin. King Uzziah, for instance, flaunted God's law. And so the Lord struck King Uzziah so that Uzziah was a leper for the rest of his life. Because leprosy turned a person into a walking corpse, the healing of, of leprosy was like a resurrection from the dead. And since God caused leprosy, only God could heal leprosy. So when a leper was healed by God, it was a miracle of the highest order. Healing a leper was just like raising the dead. Dear brothers and sisters, if we have eyes to see it, this is a picture of our lost condition apart from God and his son. Sin causes us to be separated from God. Sin causes us to be unclean before a holy God. Sin separates us from the only source of life and blessing in this entire universe, and that's the triune God. On the outside, sinners look okay. I'm sure the widows that Paul described um, didn't look like living corpses on the outside, but that's what they were on the inside. You see, apart from the Spirit's presence in our lives, the human race is the walking dead. Listen to how Jesus describes the heart of man. In Mark chapter 7, the Lord Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, Envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. They make a person unclean. Just like the leper, all of the sinful human race is unclean. Our sin has made us unclean. And so with the ten lepers we cry out, Jesus Lord have mercy on us. Our sin is separated from us from God. And so we say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. 
Our sin has separated us from the life of God so that we're the walking dead. And so we say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. There's no good thing within me, Lord. Have mercy on me. And of course, Jesus is the Master, isn't he? The whole human race will one day stand before the Son of God as their Master on that last day. You owe your life and your very existence to the Lord, your master. He created you. He sustains you moment by moment. Every human being will one day stand before Jesus as our judge, as our king, as our master. Oh, how we need his mercy. Well, the second picture this morning comes from uh, verse 14. Luke 17, verse 14. Listen to what it says. When Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. The second point then this morning that helps us to live in Christ's comfort is this. The healing of the ten lepers shows us Christ's readiness and the Father's readiness to be gracious and kind to us. The healing of the ten lepers shows us Christ's readiness and the Father's readiness to be gracious and kind to us. The first point this morning showed us our guilt. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, how great my sin and misery are. This second point begins to show us God's grace. Or as the Catechism puts it, how I am set free from my sins and misery. And Jesus' response here is remarkable. In essence, he says to the ten lepers, it was done before you even asked. In essence, Jesus says, I'm so willing to heal and save and reconcile sinners that I don't have to think it over. You're asking me to do something that's perfectly in harmony with why I came into this world. As, as he says in John 12, 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Go, it's already done. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And of course, the only role that the priests filled was to acknowledge that the healing had taken place. It had taken place. And it was only a healing that God could bring about. In essence, the healing of these ten lepers was a resurrection from the dead. It's very important for us as believers to see the kindness and the graciousness of Christ. Thank you for the kindness and graciousness. (laughs) Pastor Kyle. (laughs) Um, It's very important for us to as believers, to see the kindness and the graciousness of Jesus Christ. By faith, we must learn to see the tenderness, the mercy, and the grace that fills the heart of Jesus, our Lord and Master. You know, we don't want to accuse Jesus like that one talent man in Matthew 25, 24, who said of Jesus, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Jesus, a hard man? Jesus, a hard heart? No, a thousand times no. 
Our Lord and Master died for us and died in our place. Jesus took the infinite punishment we deserve for our sin because our sin is against an infinitely glorious God. We don't ever want to accuse Jesus, our Master of hardness of heart. But here's a danger. As we grow in the Christian life, we begin to grow in humility downward in the sense that we see in greater and greater ways how sinful our hearts truly are. The Apostle Paul grew downward in this, this humility, this grace of humility. In 59 AD, he wrote to, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he said, I am the least of the apostles. In 63 AD, he wrote to the Ephesians, I am the least of all the saints. And then in 64 AD, he wrote to Timothy, I am the chief of sinners. I am the foremost of sinners. I have lived long enough now at the age of 65 to be convinced that Paul is wrong. So one place where Paul's wrong, I'm convinced that I'm the foremost of sinners. I'm absolutely convinced that I am far, far worse than the Apostle Paul. But I suspect that many of us here, especially if we're older, we all feel the truth that we are horribly bad sinners. Why do we all think like this? It's because we know our hearts better than we know anyone else around us. I live with myself every day. You live with yourself every day. And if we have any self-knowledge at all, we know we need the mercy of Christ more today than when we first came to the Lord. Day after day, my whole life, I increase my guilt before God. Each day I add another layer of sin to that pile of transgression, which is huge. And so the temptation for me and you is this. Is the mercy and grace of Jesus enough to save us? Is the cross of Christ enough to save us? And the answer to this is a resounding yes, yes. A thousand times yes. See the heart of Jesus dying for you and me on the cross. See the power of his divinity bearing the weight of God's just wrath on the cross. And know that it was enough. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Believe the truth this morning that all your sins, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins were laid on him at the cross. Well, the first picture this morning showed us our guilt. The second picture shows us God's amazing grace given to us through his son. And now this third picture begins to teach us about gratitude. This third picture is found in verses 15 and 16 and then also verse 19. Listen to what it says. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, and turned, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet at Jesus, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then verse 19, and he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The third point then this morning is this. The Samaritan leper shows us 
where grace and genuine faith lead us. The Samaritan leper shows us where God's grace and genuine faith lead us. When the Samaritan saw that he was healed, he turned back and he went to Jesus. And that was entirely right. That was the right thing to do. God's grace through God's through his son leads us to Jesus Christ and Jesus is our new home. Where do Christians live? Most of us here live in and around Fremont, Nebraska. But that's not where we truly live, is it? No, the Apostle Paul tells tells us where we truly live. Paul writes to the Colossian believers and he says, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus says to his disciples, and he's saying it to you and me, Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me abides in in him. He it is then that bears much fruit. 213 times in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uses the phrase, in Christ. In Christ, that's where you and I truly live if we belong to Jesus Christ this morning. Union with Christ is at the heart of the New Testament. So the Samaritan was right to return to Jesus. But notice what the Samaritan did when he returned to Jesus. It says, praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. The Samaritan worships Jesus. The Samaritan somehow realizes by faith that Jesus is God incarnate. The Samaritan somehow realizes that Jesus is God come to us in the flesh. Notice how closely connected praising God in verse 15 is with falling at Jesus' feet to worship him in verse 16 is. True faith, you see, leads us to worship Jesus as the eternal Son of God. But can't you just hear the Pharisees and the scribes at this point of what they might have said at this point if they would have seen the Samaritan falling in worship at the feet of Jesus? How awful it is for this man to worship Jesus. But you see, it's not awful at all. Jesus is God come to us in the flesh. And we're not ashamed of that. No, we glory in that as Christians. We praise Jesus for his amazing condescension that he would come to us in our own nature and save us from our sins. We praise Jesus that even now forever he has joined his divinity to our humanity. So at this very moment, we have our own flesh and nature in heaven. We praise Jesus for his mysterious, his incomprehensible condescension that brings us joy forever and eternal life united with him. Faith saves us. That's what Jesus says to the leper in verse 19. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. But notice that there's a footnote, if you have an ESV Bible, that says it can also be translated, your faith saves you. Faith leads us to worship and love Jesus. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
But where does that faith take us? Where does that faith lead us? Well, the Samaritan shows us, shows us where it leads us. It leads us to love Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus this morning? It's an important question. For true and genuine faith, true and genuine faith must lead us to Jesus. Is there any doubt that the Samaritan man loved Jesus? Of course not. He understood what Jesus had done for him. Jesus saved him from the living death that he was living. The leper understood how he was set free from all his sin and misery. Do you understand it, dear Christian? Do you understand it? Do you understand how much you owe Jesus? Do you understand how he has saved you from your sins, saved you from death, saved you from eternal damnation in hell, saved you by going to the cross so that you might be his forever? Faith saves us. Faith makes us well because it leads us to our true home in Jesus. Faith saves us and makes us well because it causes us to love Jesus above everything else in the world. Faith saves us and makes us well because it leads us to love Jesus, our Lord, above everyone and everything. The fourth picture this morning is found in verses 17 and 18. Look with me at these verses. Verses 17 and 18 it says, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? The fourth point then is this. The nine lepers show us the danger of a faith that falls short of the love of Christ. The nine lepers show us the danger of a faith that falls short of the love for love for Christ. Jesus says, "Where are the other? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? It's a good question. Why didn't they return to praise God?" Recently, I, I watched a, a movie late at night um, called "Round of Your Life." As uh, Ella, my daughter, knows, I'm a night owl. So I probably watched this about one in the morning or something, maybe two, who knows. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a movie, Round of Your Life. It was a golf movie. I thought, well, I like golf. Maybe I like this movie. It was a, a movie produced by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was kind of surprised about that, but here's what it was about. It was about a high school golfer whose dad was a, a golf pro, a famous golfer. And this young freshman in high school was also a very talented golfer, but he lost his interest in the game. Then he and his dad got in, his, in an argument about being on the high school golf team. The son didn't want to be on the team anymore. Dad got mad and he went to go for a drive to cool off. While he was driving, he was in a car accident that left him in a coma. The son was guilt-ridden. And through the fellowship of Christian athletes at his high school, he came to God. Notice that I said he came to God. Because not one time in this movie was the name of Jesus Christ ever mentioned. 
It was unbelievable. Here's a movie produced by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes that's ashamed to use the name of Jesus. Nor did they think it was necessary, apparently, to use Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, you cannot be saved. You cannot be made well apart from Jesus. A belief in God saves no one. As James says, even the demons believe in God and shudder. No one is saved by a generic belief in God. No, we must be saved through God's Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there's only one mediator between God and man, and that one mediator is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The nine missed this fact. Jesus Christ is the true priest who replaces every priest in the Old Testament. Jesus is now the true temple that makes the temple obsolete. Jesus Christ is alone is the place where we can find fellowship with God the Father. Apart from Jesus, no fellowship with the triune God is possible. Apart from Jesus, there's absolutely no health for your soul. Apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. Apart from Jesus, we cannot truly know who God is at all. For Jesus alone is the exact representation of God. Remember Philip's words to Jesus the night before his crucifixion? Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The Father dwells in Jesus. You cannot find God the Father apart from God the Son, Jesus Christ the Lord incarnate. Well, that brings us then to the final point this morning. The final point this morning is this. Jesus' words, your faith has made you well. Show us that faith saves us, and by that faith we live. But faith must overcome many temptations and obstacles. Let me repeat that a little bit here. Jesus' words, your faith has made you well, show us that faith makes us well, and that by that faith we live, but faith must overcome many temptations and obstacles. Recently I was reading about a Puritan minister in the 17th century named Walter Marshall in, in uh, Britain. And Marshall was very discouraged about his Christian life. He hadn't seemed to be able to overcome uh, the sins that he was struggling with. He wasn't living the way he wanted to. And this is why I think the Heidelberg Catechism rightly says that in this life, even the holiest only has a small beginning of this obedience. But then it adds, nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all 
not only some of God's commandments. Well, being very discouraged, Walter Marshall went to his fellow minister, a man named Thomas Goodwin. And Marshall opened up his heart to his friend and told him about several sins that were weighing heavily upon his conscience. And after he finished describing his sins, Thomas Goodwin replied this way, You have forgotten to mention, dear brother, the greatest sin of all, the sin of unbelief. You do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to sanctify your nature. Let me repeat that sentence. You do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to sanctify your nature. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, the same way we begin with Christ is the same way we continue with Christ. We begin our journey with Christ by faith. We continue our journey with Christ by faith. And one day we will end our journey with Christ by faith. Jesus says, it's our faith that makes us well. All of our sins at their root have unbelief. All the sins that we struggle with ultimately have unbelief at their very core. One of the best prayers, I think, in the New Testament is, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because the reality is this. Not everyone who begins with Christ finishes with Christ. Remember what Jesus said about the sower and the seed. Jesus said, and some seed fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and grew up with it and choked it. And then Jesus interpreted us for us the meaning of this parable. He said, and the ones who are on the rock are those who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they, these have no root, for they believe for a while, and in the time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. You see, there are many temptations and obstacles to overcome if we are to reach our destination in heaven with Jesus Christ. But the way we overcome every single obstacle is by faith. It's our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us well. Look with me one more time at verse 14. Verse 14 says, When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. All, all ten of these lepers, they made a good start. But remember what Colossians 2.6 says, the way we begin with Christ is the way we continue with Christ. We begin with Christ by faith. We continue with Christ by faith. And we end with Christ by faith. Here I think it's, it's a, here I think is a, a, a good way that you and I practically can uh, learn to live with Christ and continue with Christ by faith every day. Now, you and I, don't, I mean, for purposes of illustration, I'm saying you do this in the morning. Um, 
I'm just going to be pretend like I'm a morning person and this is what I do every morning. I'm getting a little bit better at this, but sometimes it's afternoon or evening, and so just keep this in mind. I don't want to be a liar here. Every day, you and I are to wake up from sleep and believe the good news of our baptism. Because you see, baptism is a picture. Baptism is a sign. When we go under the waters of baptism, it's a picture that we, are, we have died with Christ. And when we're raised up from those waters, it's a picture that we are raised with Christ. And now we live right now with Christ in the heavenly places. That's our location. So this world is no longer your true home. That's what baptism teaches you. Believe what baptism teaches you. Use your baptism to assure you who you are in Christ every day. Every day we are to die to, to our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. In other words, we no longer live for this world. We no longer try to conform to this world. We no longer live according to the flesh or your old sinful nature. You have died with Christ to the world. You have died to your old sinful nature. Believe that news this morning. You have been raised up with Christ. Jesus is now your home. Jesus is now your Lord. Abide in him. He is your teacher. He is your priest. He is your king. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so every day use the sign and seal of your baptism to assure your heart that that this is who you are in Jesus. You and I have died with Christ. We have, been, we have been raised with Christ. Your life and my life is hidden with Christ in God. And then open up the scriptures daily when you rise from bed, which in itself is a picture of the resurrection, isn't it? Isn't that true? Every day when we wake up from our sleep, sleep is like death, and waking up is like a resurrection. And so every day when you Awake, open your Bible, and don't leave God's word until you're happy in Jesus. And pray continually, for prayer is the hand of faith, for it's by faith that you and I are made well in Jesus. Well, may the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father use and bless this message to our hearts through the working of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads to pray. Uh, gracious Father, we praise you and thank you that you sent your Son to us who reveals the exact, who is the exact representation of who you are. And we thank you that he reveals to us a heart that loves the world and loves uh, his people. We thank you that we are so dearly loved in Jesus Christ. We thank you that... Uh, by your Holy Spirit, when we heard the gospel, you have brought us to that salvation. We thank you that uh, we are saved by faith, not by anything that we do, but by believing the good news of the gospel. But help us to learn to continue to live by faith our entire life, to overcome these obstacles that come that would... Uh, Get us off the road with Christ. These, uh, especially for us in Christ, these cares, these pleasures of life, the riches that can 
draw our affections away from Jesus. So help us to believe that Jesus Christ is so wonderful and that relationship with you is so wonderful that we love our Lord above everything else, above even our, our dearest, the dearest people in our lives. We love them. But no, Jesus is our everything. And that's the way it should be. So would you help us, Father, to put these things into practice? Help us to believe that uh, our home is no longer really Fremont, Nebraska, or Omaha, Nebraska, or wherever we live, Hooper, or whatever. Help us to believe that our true home is in Christ, in the heavenly realms, and help us to live by faith every day, dying with our Lord Jesus, and rising with him to newness of life. And we thank you that you are a God who forgives our sins and our transgressions. We add to that pile of the debt of sin every day, and it saddens us. We mourn over it. But we thank you that on the cross, Jesus was dying for our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. And that the cross is enough. We rest in the cross. We ask that our faith would cause us to love you above all else. The Apostle Paul Paul warned us, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. We would not be like those who are cursed, Father. We do love your Son because of his grace to us, because of who he is and how wonderful he is. But we ask that you would Help us by faith to take hold of that and to live our lives in the light of this wonderful grace you've given to us. Help us not to leave Jesus out of the equation. Father, there's no way to come to you apart from from your son. We thank you that the Holy Spirit exalts him. We ask uh, that if there is anyone here this, this morning who has not asked Christ to be their Lord, we ask that uh, you would indeed do that in their heart, cause them to think and ponder these things, to ponder the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ and the uh, awful prospect of living apart from him forever. We ask that you would hear this prayer that we offer in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.